Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio and a very big football weekend to you. I hope you have a delicious menu planned and may the best dish win. This is your culinary-focused lifestyle show where every weekend we obsess over what to eat and drink next. It's like having a food-loving best friend to distill the culinary world into must-do, must-eat, and must-know recommendations. So if you're hungry, well, then you are in the right place. I cover food and wine and cocktails, travel, health, a bit of tech, I talk on the environment, and I'm all about living the best life. So, if you love to cook or you love to eat, then we can definitely be friends. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com, and you'll find podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes, of course. You can also find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So, let's get this fabulous food party started now, shall we? I like to kick off this show with a tutorial of sorts, a method, instruction, chef's insight or inspiration to make you the best cook you know. And so this is Porchetta 101. If you love pig in all its forms the way I do, then eating or better yet making Porchetta is cause for celebration. Now, traditional porchetta has its roots in Italy. It's a crazy, delicious, whole, boned and roasted pig, and it's seasoned with lots of salt and pepper and garlic and wild fennel. And when you travel to Italy, you've seen the trucks that sell sandwiches or paninis topped with the sliced, succulent, roasted pork. And you couldn't help but notice the hordes of people that line up to buy these delicious sandwiches, which are created by roasting these whole small pigs in special ovens that are built right into the trucks. It's very much a tradition. Now, the trucks are often at special celebrations, on farmer's market days between the stalls of goods, on busy weekend afternoons in crowded piazzas, and a porchetta sandwich is beloved by Italians. It is uniquely delicious and served thinly sliced or shaved and stuffed into crusty rolls or between slabs of focaccia. Sometimes you'll see the ends, the crispy bits, chunked and added on top to gild the lily. And because it's boneless, every slice has spirals of tender meat and lush fat and the crunchy cracklins. And there just might not be anything better. Now, Lazio fiercely guards its reputation as the birthplace of porchetta. Porchetta is said to have originated in Lazio, which is a region of West Central Italy. Although um, there are uh, other areas in Umbria that fight for the rights. But its history dates back to the Roman Empire. Now... This is known because its processing methods are even mentioned in some of the works by scholars and artists as far back as 400 BC. Porchetta was said to be the favorite dish of Emperor Nero, who was very famous for his refined palate. As far back as Roman times, the preparation and the seasoning of the pig included slow roasting it on a spit over a wood-burning fire. Even better, if you ask me. Today, it's often done in a gas oven, and you can do it in your gas oven, actually. 
and it is still decadent. Now, sometimes it is referred to as Italian pulled pork, but it's fatty and it's savory and it is not hard to make. Now, you could cheat, by the way, whether you're planning a shindig for the big game this weekend or you want to throw an impressive Saturday night dinner with friends. There are many high-end gourmet retailers that sell a cooked porchetta in the deli section of your favorite food store. And you could buy a big hunk of it. And in about 30 minutes flat, you have a decadent meal with luscious leftovers. You simply place the already cooked porchetta in a pan with some stock or broth and you tightly cover it with foil and you steam it at 400 degrees for 20 minutes. So it stays nice and moist and it heats throughout. And then you remove the foil and you broil it to recreate that crispy skin. But really, I think you should make it just once because once you do, you will crave it. And really, the leftovers are spectacular. There is almost nothing that is piggy that is better than porchetta. So here's how. The recipe I use creates a pork sandwich that is very similar in flavor to those tasty paninis, but it has much less effort. So I say, ask your butcher to butterfly the pork roast for you to simplify the preparation, or you can do it at home. The pork is really fabulously flavorful. And some people will use pork belly or they will stuff pork belly into a pork butt. But I go the simpler route. I do use a pork butt and pancetta. And I like the flavor and the acidity of red wine. So mine is done just that way. Now, it does take some advanced planning. It's not something you'll make tonight because it needs to sit in the fridge and let all of its flavors meld and get happy together. But once you go to serve it, you could either uh, carve it or slice it into, say, half-inch thick rounds. Some people like a nice hunky piece of porchetta. I like to shave it thin. I'll put out some rolls, ciabatta preferably, some spicy peppers packed in oil, uh, some caramelized onions, sometimes some sort of herb sauce like a chimichurri or a pesto. If it's a leftover sandwich, I mix the pesto with mayonnaise. Sometimes I go mustard, but I have to tell you, it doesn't matter how you serve it. It's just so good. So you'll take this pork butt and you'll butterfly it uh, or you'll cut it open so that it lays flat, leaving that last inch or so when you get to the bottom of that uh, cylindrical pork butt intact, right? So that you get a flattened piece of pork, a big flattened roast, or again, ask your butcher to do it for you. And it ends up being about a rectangle and it should be no more than an inch thick if you're using my recipe. You place fennel seeds and garlic, rosemary, freshly chopped, some salt, pepper, and pancetta in the food processor. Now the pancetta is where the fat comes in and you pulse it until it's mixed well. Then you add a half a cup of red wine. Oh, it's only getting better. And you spread this wet, wonderful mixture over the opened pork butt. And then you roll it up like a roulade and you tie it with kitchen twine. And it's just that easy. Now, I wrap it tightly in aluminum foil and I put it in the fridge. And I say minimum 12 hours, but up to a couple of days even better. And then it takes about four and a half to five hours or so in a low, slow oven at 250 degrees to roast to the ultimate tenderness. 
Then I unwrap the foil packet. I turn on the broiler and I brown it all over until the edges are crispy and delicious. And there you have it. That is to me the ultimate porchetta. So if you're hungry for more porchetta, email me at jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com, and I will gladly send you my recipe. And that is Porchetta 101. Okay, now on to food news for the week. At Kind Bars, they believe that kindness can change the world. And that's why they're on a mission, to make the world a little kinder. They have been since they were founded in 2004. They call it the Kind Movement. And by the way, I like it. I like Kind Bars too. I'm not the only one. (laughs) Uh, I know you're out there. There are a lot of Kind Bar lovers. They sell millions of bars each year. They're full of nuts and seeds and all natural ingredients. And if I'm looking for a packaged protein bar, you know, need it last minute, Uh, I choose kind when I'm not making energy bars from scratch. Now, at kind, they say, do the kind thing for your body, your taste buds, and your world. So they're pleasing your taste buds because they just released a new flavor profile. And if you like it hot, you're going to love these new flavors. They're called kind, sweet, and spicy bars. And they're packed with 10 grams of plant-based protein. So if you prefer things a little spicy or unusual or exciting, look for the new kind jalapeno bar, the sweet cayenne barbecue bar, and the Thai sweet chili bar because they are sure to get your taste buds dancing. And so now, kind lovers, you are in the know. So, there is lots more delicious conversation, lots more to eat, and lots more inspiration. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'll take a quick break and come back. Please don't go away. Delicious, it's divine, it's food and wine. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Christine Wong, the creator of Yummy.com, has made it her passion and her mission to help others discover how delicious mindful eating can be. In the plantiful plate, she shows us how to prepare hearty, satisfying, vegan, and gluten-free dishes that are bursting with flavor and color. So whether you are vegetarian or vegan, plant-based, or dedicated to clean eating, we are sharing recipes, tips, and inspiration for a more plantiful life today. And Christine Wong is here to dish. And I'm glad to have you. Hi, Christine. Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. Congratulations. The book is beautiful. It is no doubt a labor of love and your photographs are just gorgeous. And it makes your very plant-based life very appealing 
to even myself, a non-plant-based person, but I very much appreciate the commitment and I believe there is a, so much value in it. Share your food philosophy, if you would, on being plant strong. Um, well, the reason why, like with my conscious cooking and when I started Instagram, is that I um, really focused on plant-based and being plant strong because I feel like more people need to eat more vegetables in their lives. Like no matter, you know, like you, for your kind introduction, um, to, but you know, it doesn't, this book is not necessarily for vegans, but it's just for anyone who wants to integrate more vegetables and more like, you know, colorful nutrients into their diet. And you talk about this plant strong concept, which I love for everyone, whether it's the meatless Monday commitment or to put more uh, vegan dishes on the table and incorporate it into your daily repertoire. You make it very accessible. Um, in addition to being a health coach and a food blogger, you're also an advocate for going plastic free. And I would love for you to enlighten us because this 30 day plastic detox challenge, I think um, it would be only right if I too committed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole the, the whole thing with the food industry is that everything is packaged in plastic, oh, and um, like I found that there are ways of going around that, like buying your food from farmers markets per mm -hmm. se, or just shopping around the perimeters of the supermarket and finding you know food that's real and unpackaged, you know, mm -hmm. and that's all part of being conscious and, you know, plentiful. And how did the challenge go? You had a, a lot of followers. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was it was a great challenge, actually. And it, it, it just really, I didn't approach it in the way that it was preachy, but it's just, you know, things that people can incorporate each day by just taking little baby steps. Okay, so how do we do uh, it? Give us a couple tips. We want to go on a 30-day plastic detox challenge. We're going to better the earth, better ourselves, better the planet. What do we do? Well, first, you start by being mindful. Yes. That's very important. Um, and just kind of being aware of how much plastic is in your life or in your supermarket uh, shopping cart. Mm -hmm. And then it's about taking the steps to try to... Um, Eliminate plastic from that, uh, like by, per, like maybe uh, by purchasing your own uh, produce bags, or bringing your own canvas bag, or just or not purchasing um, items in the net. Mm -hmm. um, and and even the there are many places, you know, many supermarkets they do provide the the produce bags. Yes. And people just automatically grab them. They, they get like 20 of them and they put one avocado in one and maybe two, two apples in the other. That drives me crazy. But, <laughs> and it's so unnecessary. You know, like, you it's know, true. bananas are already beautifully packaged. You know, they have their own skin and you don't eat the skin. But, you know, why would you need to put it in a plastic bag? Mm -hmm. um, so there are just, you know, it, a lot of it is about being mindful. Yes. And, and, and a very simple approach if you create the mindset for it. So I, I, I'm all about that. I, I think that we can all be more mindful about our daily activities to better our lives and better the future generations and their lives. Um, okay, back to Plant Strong. 
Can you talk about the dirty dozen and the clean 15? Because you describe in the book how you should choose between buying organic and conventional produce. And I I think there's a lot of wisdom that we could gain from you from that. It's quite unfortunate that there's so many... um, We don't know how our produce is being grown. Mm. Uh, So there there are lots of pesticides being used. And some of the the produce absorbs the chemicals more than others. So hence the dirty dozen are the ones that, um, that do absorb more chemicals, like uh, spinach and berries. Okay, so give us the list. If, if we were to choose organic uh, because we have the knowledge and power to do so, you say strawberries, spinach, right? Nectarines, apples, peaches, pears, cherries, grapes, Grapes, celery, celery, go ahead, tomatoes, tomatoes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) potatoes, and hot peppers. Those are all the best choices for organic, correct? Yeah. They're the dirty dozen. Yeah. Then there are the clean 15, and those all seem to have their own wrapper, like you talked, or many of them, like you talked about the banana, right? We don't have to worry mm-hmm. about corn or avocados or pineapple or cabbage or papaya because they remain clean and intact in the interior. Mm-hmm. So smart, right? So it really is just that conscious way of eating and living. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late. Because Christine Wong is here. The book is called The Plantiful Plate. And it is about being mindful in eating and living. And we're going to get cooking in just a moment. Talk buying in bulk. You're big on it, Christine. Yeah, I love uh, visiting the bulk uh, sections of the supermarkets and actually finding in in New York City, we have uh, food co-ops, which you can bring your own jars. And you fill, you fill them up and you basically you just buy what you need. And it's mainly dry ingredients like rice and grains or nuts or seeds. Uh, there's plenty of things that you can get that you can buy in bulk. There's lots of really delicious inspiration in the book. And um, congratulations and kudos to you. I know this is your first baby in the form of a hardback. Uh, and we're uh, a Howard cover book, and we're very excited. Uh, filled with Christine's gorgeous photos, the plantiful plate is truly a feast for the eyes. It's all about mindful eating and mindful living, and there are a bevy of lessons and recipes to inspire you. We can all learn from Christine's teachings. So find the book on Amazon. It's called The Plantiful Plate. It's written by Christine Wong. You know her and love her as the creator of Yummy.com, Y-O-M-M-M-E. And you can follow Christine at Conscious underscore cooking, Conscious underscore cooking. Um, Christine, thank you. Uh, for sharing your passion. Glad to have you on the radio. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, a pleasure. As the delicious conversation continues, feeding your soul one weekend at a time. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We'll be right back.
This is where knowledge and inspiration is served up every weekend. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. In her earnest debut cookbook, banker and blogger Swayam Purna Mishra shares Indian recipes inspired by her childhood with modern creative twists. Chai-spiced cinnamon rolls and mushroom-fried rice, butter chicken and bread pudding in ghee. Her vibrant Indian cooking made simple is shared in My Indian Kitchen, her new book just released, and Swam, as she is belovedly called, is here to dish live on the phone from India. I'm very glad to have you, Swam. Welcome and congratulations. The book is beautiful, so full of heart. Thank you so much, Amy. It's a pleasure for me to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you, of course. I'm very glad to have you here. I love Indian food, Swam. I love the rich spices and the comforting aromas. There's something very satisfying about Indian food to me. So describe for us, if you would, your style of Indian cooking. So my style of Indian cooking is very, very homely cooking. You know, it's not, uh, it's not overly complicated at all. I go back to my roots. I cook the way my granny and my mom taught me to. Mm. So, which means that essentially the food that I'm serving is the food that was traditionally made in Indian homes long before we got, you know, uh, went into the fusion way and tried to modernize everything and try to make everything more trendy. So the recipes here are very, very simple at heart. They are something that you would want to cook for your families on weekdays, on weeknights. You know, it's easy, simple cooking, purely cooked from the heart. I love that you've simplified it because I think Indian food can be challenging with regard to the number of ingredients, the lengthy methods. I mean, yes. it, it really is a labor of love many times. You know, when I was making this book, I was consciously trying to keep the recipes very simple. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, the main agenda of this book was to make Indian cuisine approachable to everyone in the world. You know, mm-hmm. the basic uh, concept, misconception everyone has is Indian cuisine is very, uh, very, very tough to make and it's very technical and it has got a lot of layers, a lot of... To it. You know, there's a lot of pounding of things, there's a lot of grinding of things, so it takes time to make. But I wanted to create recipes for everyone in the world, so even if someone doesn't know Indian cooking, they could attempt to make a couple of curries, or you know, the dal, which is so popular these days, they could yes. attempt to make those without feeling, uh, you know, scared or running out of the ticket or losing patience <laughs> in the place. So this is why I try to keep the recipes very simple and tart. And you know, with, uh, uh, not too many ingredients. So most of the recipes you see use very basic ingredients that you just buy once and you can have in your pantry. And you can keep using them for almost all the recipes that you see in the book. Yes. And I love that you make it approachable. There are a few pantry basics that I know that you use in your recipes over and over again. Uh, a red chili yes. powder, right? Uh, fenugreek yes. leaves. Yes. Name a few yes. essential Indian spices that we will use over and over, please. A couple of spices that are a must in Indian cooking, uh, according to me, <laughs> cumin seeds, cumin coriander seed. seeds, mm-hmm. mustard seeds. These three seeds have to be there in your kitchen pantry, uh, in your spice box. You know, the typical, we have a spice box. Every Indian house has a spice box. Okay. So these three seeds have to be there. Then there is the Kashmiri red chili powder that I use particularly, which is uh, not very spicy, so it's not fiery hot, yet it gives a beautiful color and, you know, a little bit of depth of heat to the dishes as opposed to the fiery heat that you can see. So the Kashmiri red chili powder and the dry fenugreek leaves. 
these are absolutely essential in a kitchen. Yes, five essentials. And I looked up Kashmiri red chili powder, and it is readily available. And so I love that you've given us a suggestion. One Indian chili powder that adds color and flavor and boldness and warmth and heat goes a long way. Uh, Before we dig into the recipes, Swam, I would love to know how the food scene in India has elevated or changed of late because it is ever evolving, is it not? It is. I think food is such a thing that we are always creating new things or we are going back to our roots. You know, last couple of years back, uh, the entire food industry, the people who were eating along with the the chefs, we were all obsessed with molecular gastronomy. Everyone was trying to, you know, be trendy, do fusion, <laughs> do the coolest new thing. Right. This year, I'm seeing the trend move more towards local. You know, we are all trying to uh, be more seasonal, eat more seasonal, eat more locally grown produce, trying to highlight what is in-house, you know, homegrown vegetables, homegrown fruits, try to highlight those. So I'm seeing a big comeback to seasonal eating, about seasonal eating this year. Yes, and I think that's wonderful. I think we're seeing that globally, where we're connecting to food again in a, a very traditional way. Yes, sustainable living is very important. It's also important for us to try and grow some stuff on our own. Yes. You know, vegetables, small vegetables. Have a small patch of vegetable garden in your home, a herb mm-hmm. garden, if nothing else. It's very important to try and live sustainably in this in this world. It's a small thing we can do for the planet. I think it really works. Yes, and I think it's fascinating to see it work on a global level. Um, okay, let's cook, Absolutely. Swam. I, I, lo- I love butter chicken. And so that will be the first Who recipe. Doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> and the, name alo- the name alone, how could you not love it? Exactly. You have the chicken cube, and then you have the butter chicken. And then you're using <laughs> butter everywhere. That's very true. Um, talk to us about the variations of your recipe. So my butter chicken is not the sweetened version that you get in most restaurants. What I have made is the classic butter chicken. So, you know, it's not overly sweetened. It's spicy. It's got a perfect balance. So there's a little bit of heat uh, underneath, you know, underlying heat to, to the curry. Yet it's very comforting. It's very, it comes together really easily. It's just, you know, putting some ingredients together in one pot and letting it simmer for a long time. It's the simmering, you know, the long, slow simmering mm-hmm. that really makes the curry, the gravy rich and really, really fragrant. So you cannot hurry this curry. You have to take <laughs> your time and let the curry really, really simmer. And uh, when you're done with it, you're left with a gravy that you just want to sit up on a couch with a plate of naan or some little rice and have a bowl of that rich, delicious gravy in front of you and those succulent pieces and watch something on Netflix. That's it. That's the idea of perfect Friday night. Yeah, the, the perfect Friday night, no doubt. I love how tender the chicken is, but I do have to say... I could eat the, and I love that you associate it as a gravy, right? I could sip the curry sauce just by itself, like like a bowl of soup. <laughs> I mean, that's how delicious and, and rich that beautiful is. flavor is. A well-made butter chicken gravy is absolutely oh, delicious. And oh. the best part is, it, you know, it gets even better when it's left overnight. So the curry, really, the flavors melt even better. Yes. And the next morning, the curry tastes way better when you have it for the next day you know, after 24 hours the curry is much better spooned so over rice and you can do a lot of things with the butter chicken gravy you know it's not just limited to one curry you can add it in a lot of stuff as pizza toppings as a pizza based topping you can put it in lots and lots of stuff we use butter chicken gravy for so many things 
so that is there you can always swap the chicken for mushrooms or tofu and have a tofu curry also oh how so smart i love that um chai is very popular here in the states and ever growing and you make a cinnamon yeah. roll uh, you know, v- very Amer- yeah. very Americanized, and I love that. But with a chai spice yes. blend, which I think proves that the um, ethnic influence and the global uh, culinary world uh, is just ab- absolutely ever present, right? If you have a cinnamon roll recipe that you love, um, we can add mm-hmm. your chai spice blend instead of just simple yes. brown sugar and, roll. Uh, yes, exactly. and and really elevate it. You should totally try this. I think my home, uh, this home blend, chai spice blend that I have on the book, in the book itself, it's a beautiful balance of flavors. Like, you know, there's ginger, there's cinnamon, there's a little bit of cloves and nutmeg in it. There is, of course, some green cardamom, which is like essential in our chai, you know, the chai that we grew at home. We love adding ginger and green cardamom. So mm. these flavors, just a little bit of black pepper for that slight bit of, uh, you know, again, the heat that comes in all Indian cuisine, all Indian food. Yes. So the heat is there even in a chai. So we add all these flavors together. And when you take uh, something as essential as a cinnamon roll, and instead of the basic cinnamon and brown sugar, you right. fill it with this blend. And then you drizzle that Irish, uh, you know, baby, whipped baby cream on that. Mm. It's absolutely pure heaven. I'm telling you, this is like one of the best breakfasts ever. Now, how could it so not you be? you have to make this food. Yeah, <laughs> really decadent. Yes. And it's a complete treat. So you want to make this and serve it to your favorite people in the world. You can enjoy your favorite Indian foods with faster cooking times and accessible ingredients and all the wonderful, exciting flavors in the gorgeous, inspiring new guide to modern Indian cuisine. It is written by Swayam Purna Mishra, the founder of the blog La Petite Chef, as she invites you into her kitchen. My Indian Kitchen is available at Amazon and beyond. You can follow Swam at La Petite Chef and it will make you hungry. Uh, and once again, um, thank you for sharing your passion, Swam, for calling in. I'm very grateful, and uh, I hope that you'll come back on thank the radio you so soon. Much, Amy. Thank you. My pleasure, absolutely. Thank you. Yes, of course. There's lots more fabulous food from around the world in your radio right after this. Taking a walk on the sweeter side today, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, Bakers Rejoice. This book might be the only cookbook you will ever need. Featuring 10 base cakes, 15 toppings, and dozens of decorating ideas, Simple Cake, just released and written by Odette Williams, is all you need to keep your friends and family in cake. Wait till you see this book. It is an absolute beautiful inspiration. Odette is an Australian expat and baking fanatic who now calls Brooklyn home. And after becoming a mommy, she realized she couldn't find any keepsake apron sets for her young little ones to don when they bake together. So she made some herself. And in 2013, 
her eponymous brand was launched. She has continued to bake to her family's delight and to all of ours now. And she is here to highlight her wonderfully uncomplicated approach to cake. And I'm very glad to have you. Hi, Odette. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Yes, of course. Congratulations. This book is like your third baby, right? A labor of love. (laughs) (laughs) It really is my third baby. Yes. And I say it did more damage to my body than my first children. (laughs) Okay. So so much for a lead-in on cake. Uh, But uh, please share your love of cake because you do say these aren't overly sweet, overly difficult recipes. And I agree with you. If you're going to have cake or indulge in cake, it should be really good cake. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've always, always adored simple homemade cakes. And I think when I was like a kid growing up in Australia, there was never anything sweet to eat in the house. And so I became very crafty with how I would make a cake batter up for myself. And then either bake a cake or sometimes I would just eat the batter. But <laughs> I wouldn't even get around to baking My kind of girl. Oh, you yeah, truth's out. But, um, but yeah, I really think that the cakes that really shine and the cakes that you can kind of have in your life every day are the really simple ones. Yes. They're not the super decadent ones. They're the ones that not take up too much of your time to make. But they're really like simple flavors and they're the kind of cakes that, honestly are kind of good enough that you don't necessarily need a topping you know you don't need to do that extra leg of doing buttercream or you know other things that add more time to the bake um i agree that brings me to some of the advice you share from a home baker at the beginning of simple cake um mm-hmm. i love that you say drop the cake you don't mean mm-hmm. li- you don't mean literally but this is a very worthwhile reminder lesson you know it's one of those Simple little details and tips that I give in the book that can make like a big difference in that if you just drop the cake once it's in the pan and before it goes in the oven, what it does is it just kind of gets rid of all those rogue air bubbles that can be there that, you know, will then affect the bake. And it just also gets into all the nooks and crannies of, say, uh, a pan that has like crevices um, so it's just a great little tip, and it's just, I just kind of, once I'm just about to put the cake in the oven, I just give it a little, couple of inches off the kitchen counter, I just mm-hmm. give it a little drop a couple of times, and then pop it in. Yeah, very smart. And then you alluded to uh, old cake, although it doesn't mm-hmm. last long. I love how <laughs> you revive old cake. You know, I grew up, my mother didn't always make the cake from scratch, albeit she did. But toasted mm-hmm. pound cake, even if it was store-bought, that went into a pan and got caramelized and buttery mm-hmm. and warm, mm-hmm. y- you didn't care oh. where the cake came from. It was just <laughs> so delicious. <laughs> I'm so with you because honestly, like when you've got cake and say it's just, you know, a day or two and it's got a little, a little stale, like it's not done yet. Like you just put a couple of knobs of butter into like a fry pan on a soft heat and you like brown that butter and then you just pop that slice of cake in there and turn it. I mean, it's, it's glorious. It's like so lovely. You can put a scoop of ice cream on it. You can Mm. just have it with a morning coffee. It's like one of my favorites. Thank you for sharing your passion, Odette. I could talk cake all day with you, um, but uh, I will just cook from the book or bake rather from the book. Um, 
very happily. You should be very proud. Uh, this book oh. is so thoughtful and very inspiring, and it is a beautiful, fresh take on cakes that I think will make so many enthusiastic about baking. So thank you for sharing your passion. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, thank it's, you very it's much. a pleasure to introduce the book uh, to food lovers everywhere as it has just released. And you should get it now, really. I mean it. It's called Simple Cake by Odette Williams. And it is a beautifully nostalgic ode to the joy of homemade cake. You will love it. Follow Odette at Odette Williams on social and go to odettewilliams.com so that you can learn more about her culinary adventures by the book as well, available on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. Odette, let's bake cake again soon together. I'd love it. I'd love that too. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of scintillating conversation because if it betters the world or it betters your belly, well, then you'll hear it here. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour, my last answer tidbit of culinary conversation. If you're planning a big game party and you need a last minute marinade, or you just want to add this wonder to your repertoire, did you know that beer is a brilliant marinade? Oh, yes, it is. It adds tremendous juiciness to chicken and fab flavor to beef. And it's a very simple six-ingredient marinade that I love that I can share. The longer you let the chicken or the meat soak it up, the better, by the way. You need a 12-ounce bottle of lager or pale ale. You probably have one in the cooler ready and waiting, right? You need the zest and juice of a couple of oranges or tangerines, a little bit of olive oil, some soy sauce, a garlic clove, and some red pepper flakes. And you simply mix it together and marinate. Now, I'm going to post the recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen right now because I know you are running to the kitchen to make it. And I look forward to sharing more delicious dishes and wonderful recipes here in your radio in the weeks and months to come this year. So please do tune in, find podcasts of shows you might've missed on iTunes and know that I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. Wishing you a delicious weekend. May the best team win. And I'll meet you here once again real soon. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening and I hope you continue to eat well. Well,